0: Welcome to Nutrition Unmeasured, a podcast for dietitians, students, but also parents, caregivers, and everyone in between, looking for non-restrictive, body-inclusive ways to be nourished and live well. Hosted by me, Gina Forster, an anti-diet registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor from Columbus, Ohio. Go back. Welcome back to the Nutrition Unmeasured podcast. This episode is brought to you by my 10-module self-study course. This course will not be ready until mid-September, but I am offering it pre-sale, half-off, which is super exciting. Now is your chance to get this course for 50% off. Essentially, we are going to be working through the 10 principles of intuitive eating. This course is a set of 10 30 to 40-minute modules, which again, focus on those 10 principles of intuitive eating. It can be taken at your own pace. And I would usually suggest taking one or two modules per month to really dive into the material. Uh, You'll have to buy a workbook separately that costs about $15, but it's a workbook you'll have for the rest of your life and that you can really take your time filling out. And the course will guide you through my my favorite worksheets in that workbook that I suggest doing. It's a really, really great course. And I'm very proud of myself for finally getting it together. It has taken me two years to put this together. But like I said, you can get it at a 50% discount now through, I would say, September. Uh, Really the goal at the end is, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that you're going to By the end, be engaging in more self-care, find yourself more at peace with food and your body, and probably so much more. Body attunement, body appreciation, it's going to be a really great course. So check that out. The link is in your show notes. Before getting started today, I'd love to ask for a review if you're loving this podcast. Reviews only take a few seconds, and they really help me grow the listenership. So of course, I'd appreciate it just a little recap since last time the kids have started school Cameron is now in first grade which is wild and then Paige has started third grade they're both at the same school uh, things are going well can't believe summer is almost over although it already feels like it is over since the kids go back so early it doesn't feel like it outside but it feels like it mentally I I do have you know hints of fall in the air I feel like I can I can feel it in a way that the Leaves are starting to turn. I know it's not for a while, but I'm feeling that pumpkin spice latte, (laughs) Uh, even though I don't think I've actually ever had one. Truthfully, I'm obsessed with pumpkin, but I don't know what it is. I just really, the idea of a pumpkin spice latte doesn't appeal to me. I'm one of the, I really liked that, that coffee with the pumpkin foam on top, just like coffee, cold, with the foam. Did you ever have that? So, so good. From Starbucks, rather, rather than the pumpkin spice latte. I'm sorry to all you fans out there. Apparently they're making a pumpkin spice latte. What did I just hear today? Oh, Wendy's is going to bring out a, a pumpkin spice latte um, frosty. That's intriguing. I'm not sure about that one, but I mean, I'll always try anything. Also, I'm getting ready to go to Spain, getting ready to go to Spain with my mom, which is super exciting. I've actually never been to Spain. In fact, I've never been to Europe. In fact, I've never been out of the country. I shouldn't say that. I have been out of the country, but it's been like 20 years. I probably haven't been out of the country since I was in high school. Uh, So any tips that you have, I will gladly take. Um, Send them my way. Or any places in, we're going to Northern Spain. So any places that are must visit in Northern Spain, definitely let me know. All right, let's go ahead and dive into today's topic. Today, I'm talking with Aaron Flores about thin privilege and intuitive eating and body respect coaching when you have thin privilege, and coaching in general in the body positive space. Aaron Flores is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and certified body trust provider. With over 10 years of experience, Aaron has worked with eating disorders in a variety of settings over his career, including the VA healthcare system and Center for Discovery. He currently has a private practice in Calabasas, California. Aaron uses intuitive eating, health at every size, and body trust as the framework to help individuals develop a more compassionate, non judgmental approach to food and their body. His work has been featured on the 10% Happier podcast, in the New York Times, Huffington Post, and BuzzFeed. Aaron is also a frequent speaker presenting at national and international eating disorder conferences. In addition to his individual work with clients, he is also a podcaster. His two show his two shows are Men Unscripted and Dietitians Unplugged. We'll talk about both of those in this interview. Okay, today I've got Aaron Flores with me. I'm so excited to have him on the podcast. And, you know, just so listeners can get, I don't know, get to know you a little bit better, I like to start off with some fun questions.
1: Yeah, shoot.
0: <laughs> so what is your favorite food of all time? That's a hard one.
1: Uh, you know, you're uh, you're 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 assuming that's an easy question when in reality that is like uh you know, probably like a seven-part episode of like my favorite foods. Um and it's sort of like Sophie's choice, right? Like how do I pick one? You uh, know. So so I'm going to um I'm going to go with two. Okay. Um I really love ice cream and ah. I come from a family of ice cream lovers. My grandfather was like uh, just like uh, truly loved ice cream. He had like a, a freezer, you know, in the kitchen, and then there was a freezer in the back that had like the backup dash inventory. That's and he had like a legal pad where he would like sort of note the inventory and like bring stuff up. And like, you know, if a carton had like, uh, just like, you know, a quarter left he's like why would i ever put this back like let's just finish it and like so um so so i got my love of ice cream from him um and then i you know pizza is just sort of awesome i i think i i will always really always crave and want a pizza yes. i mean i just don't get sick of it
0: Okay, so I have to add, because those are two of my ties. I would actually say that probably ice cream is my number one as well. Yeah. I am also a huge ice cream fan, and I get very disappointed when I go places, and they're like, oh, you got to try the local ice cream. It's so good, and I wait in these long lines, and it's just it's just meh. It's not even that good because my favorite ice cream, and I truly believe it's the best ice cream in the world, is Grater's ice cream. Have you heard of it?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, the folks in, in Columbus are, you know— uh, fanatical for their graters, including uh-huh. like the big old pieces of chocolate chips and the uh. yeah oh yeah. So so I'm in LA. I've never been to Columbus. Um, we actually I, there were a couple markets out here for a while that were carrying graters in their frozen food section. Mm. So I've I haven't had it fresh, but I've had it like you know from the freezer section at the market. Um, it yeah. was good for sure. I mean I, I'm not going to you know turn it down. Um, but again, I think because I don't have like that nostalgia with it, sure. it's mm-hmm. not like I would, you know, uh, make a special trip to Columbus for graters.
0: <laughs> yet. That's Let's put yes. Yes. Yeah. There you go. You got to try the s'mores. I, I'm not even a huge s'more lover. In fact, I really don't even like s'mores, but the s'mores ice cream is the best. And I also want to add real quick in case anyone from Cincinnati is listening. Graters is actually based out of Cincinnati. Oh, I just we'll see. Make that there clear. you go. I, I messed up. <laughs> It's okay. We have graders everywhere here in Columbus, but it does technically belong to Cincinnati. Okay. Okay. So maybe this will be a little bit easier. Best vacation or place that you've visited? Uh,
1: It it, it is uh, Hawaii, hands down. Mm. The Kona Coast. uh, I would move there in a heartbeat. Uh, I would live there. I would give up everything and just rent snorkels, Mm. be very happy. Uh, Hawaii, hands down.
0: So the last person I had on here was Alaska. And uh, so Hawaii and Alaska, two places I've never been. So I'm going to have to start traveling.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, again, West Coast bias is like, you know, Hawaii's relatively closer than like the East Coast. Right. Yeah, uh, so so we, we have a we have a, um, a little advantage.
0: Yeah. Remember when uh, ANDE a- and uh, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, they had their conference in Hawaii one year. Do you remember that?
1: I... <laughs> do. Um, Years ago. Yeah. And and actually, you know, when I worked at the VA before doing all this, I I had like a an alert uh, that if a VA job opened up in Honolulu that I automatically applied. <laughs> of course. None, none ever did, but I it was set.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes, I don't blame you one bit. Okay, I, I, you know, I'm assuming I've read your bio by this time, but is there anything else that you would like listeners to know about you? Um,
1: No, I mean, I think, um, I, I love this work. Um, I think it's, it's like, I love being a dietitian and body trust provider. It's hard. Um, but it's really like fulfilling. I love working with folks who are trying to heal their relationship with food and body. I love Star Wars. Uh, I love loud music. I, you know, I'm wearing a Metallica shirt right now. Um, (laughs) and, uh, yeah, I, I tend to bring a lot of humor and just sort of humanness to this work.
0: Yes, I love that. All right, so we'll go ahead and dive in with some questions. Yeah. Speaking of the work. All right, so you have a podcast currently called Men Unscripted, which I'll have to listen to. I'm, I'm assuming it's it's for anyone. I mean, I guess you should talk a little bit about that that podcast.
1: Yeah, it I, is, I've for, listened, it is yeah. for anyone for sure. Okay. The, the premise of it is that I wanted to, so I had a, a podcast. We're not not making new episodes currently, but they're still up there called Dietitians Unplug that I did with my, a friend of mine, Glennis Oyston, and mm-hmm. it was it was so much fun to do a podcast. I really love the the form. I get I, as you can tell, I love to talk. I love to meet people through conversations, and I hadn't you yeah, know, we, we weren't recording new episodes. I was like, I think I'd like to do another podcast. And what would I like to do? And I had this idea for setting up a, a space where men can talk about what it's like for them to live in their body and to really mm-hmm. sort of have an honest conversation about what is hard, what's easy, what is what have they worked on, what have they struggled with, to try to build some common humanity, right? So people aren't feeling so isolated in this topic. And once I realized that these conversations are pretty vulnerable and I wanted to interview just average folks, right? I didn't want to, mm-hmm. it wasn't about sort of someone with something to promote. I just wanted to talk to people, you know, they not clinicians, you know, not providers, just folks experiencing this and yeah. honest discussions, and so I realized, you know, once you know that that's a really vulnerable thing, people might not really want to do that. Uh, so I am going to make them anonymous. And so I've done two epi- two seasons. So there is twenty episodes out there, and they are just conversations with folks. They all are using aliases, mm-hmm. and really, we just talk for about forty-five minutes to an hour about what it's like for them to live in their body, and some of them are. Uh, more lighthearted than others, and some of them are really vulnerable. Where folks end up, you know, sharing some really intense trauma experiences. Some people, you know, are you know extremely emotional talking about things. But you know, it's it's a way, f- at least for me, right? Uh, uh, purely, um, you know, if I'm looking at what what I get out of it, is you know, I I like this the fact that folks are going to share something that they typically haven't shared and know that so, one person is listening and understands what they're going through.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, what an interesting and novel idea for a podcast. I, I, I think that sounds wonderful. Uh, I'll have to listen to that. Um, and. You mentioned that you're not still recording that one, uh, but the, the episodes are still are still up. You have another podcast similar that is still available, but you're not still recording. Which you mentioned, dietitians unplugged. I will say thank you because that was really my first introduction to health at every size. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and you know how when you just jump into a podcast, you know, at, at whatever episode, and you don't go back to the very beginning. Yeah. Sometimes that's okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> But I don't think for me that was a good idea because I was also very new. And yeah, I was very new in the space, clearly. Yeah. So this is embarrassing, but this, I'm telling the story because I'm sure there's other listeners who may be in the same position. But when I first started listening to your podcast, I really... Didn't un- first of all, I didn't understand health at every size. I didn't understand what thin privilege was. And you did an episode on thin privilege. I'm sure there were many. Uh, but when you, when you and Glennis were talking about it on this particular episode, I honestly thought you were attempting to explain how being thin is a privilege and that essentially uh, something that people should strive for. And that's how I took it. And I'm like, I was, I was, compl- I was completely missing the point, and clearly in the meaning of the term, And in fact, I went as far as emailing you about it. Uh, You probably don't remember. You probably received a lot of emails like this. I don't know. But I was a little bit offended. Uh, I was like, I don't understand how this is a body positivity uh, podcast, but you're telling us that we should be thin. I was very naive. I had no clue. I I needed to go back to the beginning and do some research. So I misinterpreted the whole thing. But I, I don't want that to be the case here. So, in your own words, Aaron, can you explain what thin privilege is?
1: Yeah. Well, I appreciate that backstory, and I, I appreciate <laughs> also you uh, sharing how it, how it you felt it landed, and um, and sort of seeing that that was, you know, not 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 the intention between uh, around the the comments or, or, or how we were trying to frame it. Yeah. Um, so, thin privilege. Is so, you know, in this world of uh, th- that we're existing in, right? We we think about privilege in a lot of different ways. You know, we can think about um, you know the privilege of of whiteness. Um, we can talk about the privilege of uh, you know um, being in, in any sort of dominant uh, identity, right, in our society that is viewed just as the the normal right or, or what people should be uh should be right striving towards or trying to achieve so thin privilege is this idea that you might be in a smaller body and navigating the world without ever having to think about what the world is or, or the how easy it is to navigate the world because of thinness you Will someone within privilege will walk into a, a a restaurant and not care what the layout is, what kind of seating options there are, and sit wherever the person seats them. Um, whereas someone in a larger body might be like, "Well, there's a lot of booze here, and booze are." Coveted in a lot of ways, right? And an ideal places to sit, but not great for folks in larger bodies at all. And so, like, you know, it's like, oh, okay, I'm gonna look at what the layout is of this restaurant before I go to see, are they gonna have seats that are and tables that are comfortable for me? Um, thin privilege could be going to the doctor and knowing that. Uh, that person's weight is, is really not going to be brought up, uh, in every sort of conversation. So, someone in a larger body can, not I mean, and listen, folks have given me these, these examples, right, of going in for like a flu shot and then getting lectured on weight loss, uh, of, of having treatment denied to them, right? We're not going to give you allow you to go through all the fertility treatment unless you lose weight. Um, maybe not even being to get diagnostic tests, right? We can't do uh, an MRI on you because we don't have a machine that accommodates your body size or a gown that would fit you or a blood pressure cuff, right? Folks in larger bodies are going into these experiences constantly evaluating safety and someone in the thin body is going to have the privilege of not having that at all as a consideration as they navigate the world. And what, what it does, right, is it leads to this idea that one, um, it just creates biases, like, and really unintentional biases, right? But it makes, like, we sort of have blinders in these areas because, you know, I'm not, again, like, if I'm in a smaller body and have always been, I'm just going to sort of not really understand some of these experiences. Um, and I just might have some blinders, right, that that might show up where I, I, because I don't consider it, right, I might do things in a way that reflect that, that, um, the, the fact that I'm not considering it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. so I, you know, yeah, I'm sort of, l- let me pause uh, cause I feel <laughs> like I could go on and on, but like, yeah. t- tell me what, yeah. Ha, what, what do you think about that definition so far?
0: Well, I love it. And as you're talking about it, my brain, I I will, I will admit to having a little bit of ADD, but my brain goes a million miles a minute. I'm thinking about, this is so random. Okay, so I had never, I have had thin privilege my entire life. And I have never once considered any of the things that you've said before entering this space, okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it reminds me of when I was in middle school or elementary. Do you remember like the the exercise? I don't know if you did this, but where you like put the drug goggles on when you look and so you can feel like what it's like to be drunk with the like weird goggles?
1: No, we didn't have these. but, okay.
0: but it's the weirdest thing. Like, yeah, I can just, imagine. If you ever drink, this is what you're going to experience. And yeah. then you put the goggles on. And of course, it never stops anyone from drinking probably. But I'm just thinking this it took me reading a lot, talking a lot, doing all these things to finally recognize this. Like, what can we do? What is it going to take to help people build that empathy and to see all the things that you just said? Like I was at a restaurant yesterday. I didn't, you're right. I didn't think twice about, they, they. she said, do you want a booth or a table? I'm just like, oh, I had the privilege of saying either or, you know, and it's just, it would just be nice if there were some Things like that, like the alcohol uh, activity. What can we do to show people that it, yeah, it, you, you're people in larger bodies are going through life differently. People with with that th- that have, you know, dark skin are going through life differently. It's like, what will it take? I don't know. I'm going on a tangent, but that's what I was thinking as you yeah. were saying all that. Um, but I appreciate that, and it's largely unearned. It's what it is. It's a privilege that is unearned. We've done right. nothing to earn the privilege.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think what, first off, what I'm going to say very clearly, what we don't do, right. Is, uh, create, uh, making kids wear like fat suits, right? Like here, we're going to like, you're going to walk around for a day in, in this fat suit and see what it's Uh, like that don't do that ever. Uh, not good. Um, so, but what we need to do is, is sort of build some curiosity, Mm -hmm. right? We, I think. What we can do is, um, you know, think, so this is why I did the podcast I'm doing right now, Men Unscripted, is because we don't humanize people's lived experiences. So for someone who identifies as fat, they're in a larger body, uh, there is so much weight stigma in the world that their experience is really dehumanized. Uh, and it's dehumanized because people assume that if someone wanted to, they could be smaller.
0: Mm-hmm. That the
1: only reason that they are in a larger body is because they're not trying hard enough. That there's some personal responsibility failure by this individual. And, and so by when we dehumanize that experience, right, we sort of use and can lean into shame As a motivator for people to change. And, you know, I think if we were to sort of humanize people and understand their lived experiences without like needing to fix it, right? But just listen to folks and what they are going through and honor that lived experience, I think it brings humanity to this. And I think when we have that humanity, We are able to access that curiosity a little bit more. And we are able to think about okay, here's how my privilege is showing up in this, right? And how can I try to do better, right? How can I, what things can I do to sort of unlearn what I've learned and be understanding that I'm going to mess up? I'm gonna make a mistake. I'm going to my privilege is going to get in the way somehow. And that's not like I, I I think accepting that we will probably mess up is um is okay. Right. And when we mess up, how do we how do we do repair? How do we apologize? How do we listen? How do we receive feedback? So it's like a big loop. Um, Gina, to be honest, right. There's not, it's not just like one thing. It's sort of many different entry points uh, around how we can frame this to see someone's humanity so that folks who do have privilege are more curious. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. You explained it much better. I, I As I was thinking that, I was clearly not actually, I I actually do an empathy training for foods with, with, for students with allergies. So in my mind, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, but yes, what you're saying makes so much sense. Like just the more you are aware, just becoming aware as someone within privilege has helped me see and has helped me recognize what. I've done wrong in the past. I'm not putting myself down for it. Like I know that I did what I thought was best at the time. But now that I know better, I can move forward and, and continue to do better. And I think that's what's important. Um, but you're right. I love what you said about shame-based motivation. I mean, if you look at any wellness, you know, workplace wellness mode, it's, it's all shame-based motivation. It's, you know, if you... I saw one recently. This was I, I don't even want to name I won't name names, but like, you know, if you did you go did you eat too much for lunch today? You know, here's what you can do to burn off those extra calories. Mop the floor for 5 minutes. Go for a 10-minute run. It was just ridiculous. And it's exactly the shame-based motivation. All focus on weight, but the reality is we don't have control over our bodies. Our bodies are going to do what they want to do. Um, and th- and that's okay, you know? That's that's the key. So yeah, I think Yes, thank you. I think that was that was incredibly helpful. I I, I want to ask too, and this is something that, again, because I'm relatively new in this space and I've always had thin privilege, is it important for those with thin privilege to recognize their privilege and to call it out?
1: In my opinion, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, we're living in a time right now where this idea of of, of identifying privilege is getting a lot of pushback in a lot of different ways in our society. And um, I, I think it is something we need to do. And I think especially for people who are working with folks in healthcare, and I think especially for folks working with folks who are experiencing eating disorders or disordered eating, yes, I think it's extremely important to do that. And, you know, it, it's interesting... Uh, the, the question, because, you know, I, I am someone who identifies as fat. And I use that word to describe my bo- body all the time. Uh, and I don't do it from a self-deprecating space. I do it sort of as an activist tool for me to reclaim that word and to really help people challenge what they think about that word. Mm-hmm. And being a fat dietitian is... Uh, quite an interesting experience. And one of the things it has forced me to do in so many ways is name my body in the room with clients because it is something they are thinking about. It is something that they are, you know, I've had clients who say, I'm not going to work with Aaron because he's fat. Uh, I'm worried, you know, I've had clients who have said, Uh, you know, looking at Aaron or or working with him is really triggering. I'm, I'm worried that I'm going to recover into his body or -hmm. that he wants me to recover into a body like his. Uh, And, and, and I've had folks who, you know, are, are sort of uh, use the analogy of like, you know, well, his body's his business card. Right. So like, why, why should I believe he's doing anything he says? Um, And so it's forced me to name my body in the room. Like I've had to have conversations about my body with clients. I don't mind it, by the way. Right, I'm used to it. I think it is uh, probably a really helpful thing to tell people that I'm okay to talk about it. Like it's not a taboo subject because I show up in the room, right? I, I, I'm not a blank slate in doing this work. I am another human working across either the the screen or or the the couch, you know, the room with someone, I show up and my humanity shows up. So, Mm -hmm. So I invite that conversation. Thin privilege, right? It shows up here is like, maybe someone in a smaller body has never even thought to consider that, right? That's never something I would have even thought I need to talk about with my clients. But opening up the door of saying like, you know what? I understand that because I'm in a smaller body, I might not or I will not uh, experience the things that you do as someone in a larger body. And and that doesn't mean I can't have empathy. But yes, there will be things that I just won't understand. But I'm here to listen. I'm here to support you. And I think it's also you can tell folks like, and I'm doing my work outside of this, right, to help me continue to look at how my privilege impacts our work. And then the last thing I tell folks that I think is really important is you ask for feedback always like, Hey, you know what? I am really interested to hear your feedback. If I ever say anything, do anything, um, create a space that feels unsafe to you in any way. I want Mm -hmm. to hear about it and I'm going to take feedback as a gift. I'm not going to get defensive. I'm not. Mm. It's not going to be held against you. It's not going to be pathologized, right? Your feedback is your eating disorder. No, uh, your feedback is a gift, and I'm going to listen. And mm. we'll talk about it as much as you want to talk about it. But I'm here for your feedback, right? I am not going to do this perfectly, and your feedback helps me be a better clinician. Mm.
0: Mm. So so important. Um. Yeah. You summed it up well. So that 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 goes right into my next question, which is the big question of the day. Okay, so this was a quote from Kimmy Singh, who uh, has an Instagram, which I will link in the show notes. And you know, I will just say, just to go back to the question that I just asked about about disclosing your thin privilege. I, like I said, I've had thin privilege my whole life and I never really thought twice about entering the intuitive eating space. But then as I've been in it longer and in this health, you know, this body image, body respect space longer, I've started to question whether I even am meant to be here. And uh, so the quote that Kimmy wrote on her Instagram is that we have thin people learning from thin people about how to tell fat people not to be thin. And, you know, reading that, it just really summed up my fear of being an intuitive eating coach uh, and someone who's, you know, trying to promote body respect and also having thin privilege. So it was just eye-opening for me. And I don't know, I just, I would like to hear your thoughts on that. And I think a lot of what you said probably already kind of sums up what your thoughts are on that. But if you have anything else to add.
1: Yeah. Uh, You know, um, know, Kimmy is is someone who is, Doing such amazing work in our community, right? And and as someone else who is a dietitian who identifies as fat, I have a lot of um, respect and and I have a lot of really um, yeah uh, yeah profound respect for the things that she says and the ways in which she is helping our community grow. Um, and you know, I I think the. The quote that she has there is, it is really powerful. And, you know, I think it can make people uncomfortable. And to that, I say, good. Yeah. (laughs) Right. When we, especially as providers, right, and especially um, folks who, again, have like sort of uh, dominant identities in our society, we don't sit in discomfort very much. And that that place of discomfort is where growth is. And for folks who are in those marginalized identities, right, they're feeling that discomfort all the time in some way, right? Because they're constantly trying to find, to push up against, like, where is safety? Who understands me? Who is judging me? Um, you know, and I think, listen, I think I've had to sit in that discomfort as a as a white man often, right? And I think it's a discomfort that is very, very challenging, but extremely important in, in how I think about my own journey in understanding again, how privilege has impacted my life. And so like the quote, right, again, can make people uncomfortable. And I, and I, I, I welcome that. There's not a lot of space for us as clinicians to deal with our own discomfort. So, so I, I love this quote because he, a couple things. One is when we do body image work with folks, it, uh, as, as clinicians, I think it's really important to validate that we are going to it's going to bring up stuff for us. It, 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 it's going to bring up our own shit. And that's okay. How we build empathy with people is by accessing those feelings within ourselves. And, you know, I think there's probably a lot of providers out there who need to do a lot of body image work. And that's not a bad thing. That's actually probably really important in building that empathy with folks. I think also, right our profession right dietitians particularly, you know it is it it's it's getting a little bit better, but I think it's not a very diverse group of folks it it's you know mainly thin white women and you know I again, that's changing and I, I think there's you know progress in that in that space, but I think it's still dominated by that sort of mode of thinking, right, that has been led by by thin white women. And so having diversity, especially around body size, amongst dietitians is extremely valuable,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Because I will say, you know, uh, working as a fat dietitian and then working with a fat client, there are many times where they say, I am really... Like, working with you is very helpful because I know that you get it. Mm -hmm. I don't have to explain it to you, right? There's just a shared understanding of experience. And it's the same way of, you know, a person, uh, a a BIPOC individual wanting to work with another BIPOC therapist or dietitian. You know, uh, it's really understandable why... um, a, a trans individual would want to work with a trans dietitian or therapist because there's that commonality of lived experience that is, is really helpful. And, right, so, so the second part of all of this is our CEUs, right, the ways in which we learn, again, are dominated by thin white women. And, you know, I think it's really important to think about who do we center in our education, right in our learning and learning from folks with marginalized identities is one of the most important things we can do to grow and there's a lot of gatekeeping when it comes to that right so so i'm gonna get sort of in the weeds here (laughs) um is so i don't have i don't have a master's i will never get a master's degree it's not something I, i i'm not going back to school i'm not taking another test i'm done i um, I have a lot of presentations I really want to give, but I cannot submit them alone to IADEP or like mm-hmm. some conferences, fancy even, because yeah. I don't have a master's. Hmm. So, what is that saying, right? That like the, that we're we we do not value the education we could get from someone without this specific degree because they don't have any because you know that's not credentialed enough to teach us there are individuals out there with no degrees who are experts in this field simply by their lived experience mm. who need a seat at the table when it comes to educating folks and when we gatekeep by uh by education status right we're not making an equal playing field for folks
0: mm. yeah yeah i I had never really thought of it that way. I mean, maybe I have. It makes absolute sense. I would in many ways agree. I mean, I feel like especially, again, in this field, in this area specifically, body image, um, uh, intuitive eating, all of all – of, this i it doesn't matter how many degrees i have it is the experience of me working with people one on one but also you're right your life experience that makes you the expert that's the bottom line and i think that's where i at least get caught up often cuz i don't i don't have that lived experience and i and I'm, when I'm working with people with people one-on-one, I'm very acutely aware of that. And yeah. I think it is important. You're exactly right. It's important to acknowledge that and just maybe sit with that discomfort for a while and then do the work to, to learn, to learn right. more.
1: So, so, so here's a big thing too, Gina, is the fact that you are vulnerable enough to say like, wow, this was a fear of mine. This is a fear of mine is I'd much rather have that than someone who says I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Right, that's not a thing. Mm-hmm. I don't need to do work in this area. Like that seems totally inaccurate. I think we need to like if you if you're for the folks out there right listening to this if it brings up your own discomfort again, that's okay. That means there's areas of growth that you can explore but but that's a great let's not um Our own inner critic sucks, (laughs) right? And (laughs) we can like beat ourselves up for feeling, uh, for feeling that fear, right? Or like that 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 we're wrong. I I don't think so. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't believe that. I think, of course, we 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 are all subject to the weight bias and fat phobia of our world. Mm -hmm. And have we internalized it, even with the best intentions of not? Yes. But that's how we undo it, right? Is by understanding that inherently we will have a bias because of how dominant this narrative is. Right,
0: exactly, exactly. I, I 100% agree with that. And that is what has helped me personally. I'm sure others listening are nodding along too because that's what it takes. I mean, sometimes you have to admit that you need work and, and that's, it's, it's like the, the saying, well, I can't even think of what it is, but well, it's like, I think of an alcoholic. You can't, you, you're not going to get help until you agree that you have a problem any addiction. It's, it's, I don't know right. why I'm bringing it to that again, bringing up alcohol. I'm not sure why, but that's ex- exactly the same thing. You will never change until you agree that you need to change or that you need to do the, the work. So yeah, a hundred percent. I, this kind of brings me to the next question. You know, you, you mentioned body image and you know, this is another thing. I never got any education in body image, image training. I was yeah. never well, educated in that. Right. And, and even when you're doing, I don't, are you an intuitive eating counselor?
1: I, so, um, <laughs> no. Uh, okay. but, but here's why, right? Remember what I said about tests, right? I've done, <laughs> yeah. I've done, uh, coursework with Evelyn Triboli. I did, you know, many hours of supervision with Elise Resch. Oh
0: yeah. Um,
1: I just never took the test.
0: It's okay. Right. Yeah. And, and, right. I'm, and, and I'm okay uh, with it. Right. Um, yeah.
1: you know, um, but uh, but I've done a lot of work with those folks and in that community. Um, so, but but I'm a certified body trust provider. That's when I that's one I did pursue. But yeah. um, but you're right. I didn't. No one gets any body image training officially that actually isn't steeped in weight bias itself.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And and that is the hardest part, in my opinion. I became a certified intuitive eating counselor and I'm like, ooh, look at me. But then I start to do the work and I realize, okay, the intuitive eating part is like the quote unquote easy part. It's the body image part that for me, and I'm still struggling with it too. I'm not, I don't look at myself every day and have, you know, not have body image struggles, but... And, and then that makes it even more difficult. I also don't have the training. At least I didn't. I still have some at this point. but And I'm also still struggling with body image. And then I think to myself, well, I'm just not going to talk about that, um, which is also harmful. And at least it's not helpful for someone who's going through that, that journey.
1: Well, yeah. 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 And, and it's also something? really common. Like, I think that's a really yes. valid answer. Um, you know, and I think that's why... So, so when I, when I started working with eating disorders, the, the belief that I sort of was taught and held for a while was, you know, as a dietitian, you'll work on the food piece, right? You're going to help people, uh, sort of relearn how to eat, right? Eat with some more, uh, freedom, not let their eating disorder take over food choices as much and dictate behaviors. Mm Um, you'll do all that. And then body image stuff will come at the very end. Mm. Um, and, and I think, that's wrong. It's uh, I think body image stuff needs to come at the first day yeah. of, of this work. And it is something that gets needs to be involved in every step of the process, not put off until way down the road.
0: Right. Yes, 100%. I, and, I, and I would say a year ago, I would have heard you say that and been shaking my head like, what? No way. But now that I've been, again, it hasn't been that long, but I've been in here, this space enough and working with people one-on-one doing classes enough that I know, you cannot tell someone that they need to give themselves unconditional permission to eat food without also having some type of tools to help them with body image, whatever it is. I mean, it's just, it just, that, that you, it's incongruent to look at it that way. Um, so I was talking, you know, I, I was having a conversation once. I like to talk with other dietitians. I'm sure you do too. Yeah. And asking them about, you know, their experiences working with people on intuitive eating and, you know, ac- accepting and respecting their body. And I, and I had this conversation with a dietitian who also had thin privilege. And she says, I, I don't ever explore body image. And I'm just, I was kind of dumbfounded. I didn't even know how to respond to that. You know, again, a couple of years ago, I would have been like, oh, okay, that's an option. Great. But now I listen to her say that and I'm thinking, how do you even get through the principles of intuitive eating without, how does that even work? And I just, to your point, it's, it's not possible, but going back to the going back, way back to what you were saying earlier and the degrees and all that, I agree with you. You know, sure, degrees are great. Sure, you learn a lot. But I have learned so much more with experience doing the added trainings like the body image. I'm sure the body trust, I would love to do that at some point. With um, Hillary and Dana, Mm -hmm. I assume, right? Yeah, love them. I'm taking their motivational interviewing course right now. It is spot on. Um, But it's it's and then the lived experiences yeah it that's 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 the knowledge that's the education that I think is so much more important but you know until people and our our larger bodies of you know a and d etc start to recognize that I don't even know when that will happen if ever so we'll just keep talking about it
1: <laughs> yeah, well, listen, I think that's the change too, right I think folks are uh being very uh, not waiting, right? And sort of making their own conferences and saying mm-hmm. like, here's, you know, alongside F- uh, Fancy, right? We're going to have this conference in the same city uh, that, is gonna, that is going to center these experiences, right? Where mm-hmm. folks can do this kind of learning, right? Or there's, yeah. you know, so there, I think there's a lot of folks out there who are making their own conferences to speak to the issues that, yes. you know, the big organizations are omitting,
0: Yes, absolutely. I I agree. I need to get to some of those, like wind, the weight inclusive nutrition and dietetics. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's one that I'm aware of. But yeah, yeah, the bipod
1: conference by yeah that is 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 out there. Yeah, that's virtual.
0: Is great. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. I'll put that one in the show notes. You have to send that one to me. I'm not familiar with that. Still learning over here. I've got there's just so there's so much. It's a, a plethora of, of resources and, and opportunities. So. Okay, we're switching gears a bit here. I just want to reflect on a, an Instagram post that you had. This was probably a little over a month ago. I'm not sh- sure. But um, you had to apologize to a client. And it, in many ways, it was a great reminder. And, and you also referred to this a little bit earlier. A reminder that all RDs uh, and anyone really, that it's okay not to do everything perfect. Uh, it's okay and expected and we learn from those mistakes, right? If we say something to a client that offends them, we apologize. We, we, you know, we ask how we could be better, how we can improve. Uh, And it sounds like you owned it and you did it. You didn't, I don't know that you talked about afterwards, kind of what happened afterwards, but didn't matter the, you know, you were pretty much telling us that, you know, it's important to, if we make a mistake to apologize, but I'm actually going to, refer to something else you talked about in that podcast or in that Instagram post. And it was C minus work. Mm -hmm. And I think you were referring to it as the client. Right. C C level work. Thank you. You're right. Not C minus work. Yeah. And this was in the body trust book also by, um, Mm -hmm. by Dana and Hillary. I can't think of their last names, but Uh,
1: uh, Dana Sturdivant and Hillary Knavey.
0: Thank you. Yeah. They talk about this a lot. So can you describe what C level work is? And I guess maybe in regards to like, from the perspective of the client, but also the practitioner, it could yeah. also be yeah.
1: yeah. Um, so sea level work is you know this idea that you don't need to get an A in in I, I tell clients you don't have to get an A in working with me right. Yeah, mm-hmm. you also don't need, don't need to get an F mm-hmm. right. Just get a C right. Just let let's let's coast right. You don't mm-hmm. need to be perfect. Um, and and I think when I first heard about sea level work and I was doing my the certification it really like landed for me because again, I had gone to all of these education trainings with the intent on getting an A Hmm. and I showed up in that way. So I, you know, would take notes upon notes upon notes, right. That I usually probably even didn't review, right. Took pictures of a slide. Did I look at those pictures ever? No, but it looked cool (laughs) to take a picture of them. (laughs) Totally Um, done that. (laughs) And and, you know, I would, if I had to submit something or like sort of write something, reflect on something, I tried, you know, I, I scrutinized over it. I would sit with it. I would usually procrastinate because I didn't want to put in the A-level effort to do it. Um, mm-hmm. And to have the freedom to the people who were leading the the, the instruction in the course to say, We want you to just do C level work here. Uh, Gave me so much permission to like relax in my chair, Mm. like quite literally, Uh, to be able to be present with feelings, to acknowledge that this is hard and I'm going to need to take care of myself. And that might mean uh, zoning out, Mm -hmm. right? That might mean doodling. Mm -hmm. Uh, That might mean having to. Uh, reread something or, and when I need to submit something or like reflect on something or post something, you know, um, whatever I felt and however I described it was okay. There didn't have to be a word minimum, you know, it didn't have to look pretty. It just like, here are my thoughts and I'm going to share them in this way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I, it, it really spoke to me, right? And it allowed me the sort of freedom to go through the training um, and really sort of connect to it in a way that was meaningful to me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Applying it with clients is like, you know, uh, most most of my clients actually don't like it, right? <laughs> to be honest, I'd say, <laughs> You're, I want you to do C-level work with me uh, because they want to be perfect, right? Mm-hmm. They want to like, there's either like all this or all of that, right? It's all or nothing thinking showing up. Mm -hmm. And so to be in the middle and doing C-level work is really uncomfortable. And, you know, but that's where the sustainability of change is in the Mm -hmm. C-level work. So, you know, I often tell folks, like, uh, C-level work is pretty much like just show up for our sessions. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Even if we have goals from last last time, and you did zero of them, Mm -hmm. that's okay. Show Mm -hmm. up. Just be here. Right. Uh, Instead of like saying, "Well, I didn't do it, so what's the point of me coming?" The point of you coming is to be seen and witnessed in your experience. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And and so you know, it's 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 a hard uncomfortable concept for some folks but it i think it also really helps for me in my practice it sea level work means you know i'm i'm not going to um i'm not going to be perfect in how i do all of this um i'm probably you know it doesn't need to look perfect it doesn't need to um uh i don't need to be a perfect dietitian in this i can be human, I can be flawed, I can show up on days where it is harder for me to show up, but I'm still here. I don't have to sort of name everything, but I can tell people, like, listen, th- it's a, it's a, it's, there's, there's stuff going on outside of this that is impacting me. I'm here, but I'm a little distracted, mm-hmm. right? And I apologize, but I'm, I'm here, right? And I think it's just sort of allowing people to see my humanity right? I think this work is highly relational. The work I do with folks and that a lot of us do is very intimate. You know, it is, people are letting me into their lives in a way that they don't let other people in. And I take that to heart, right? I think that's really almost sacred. And I want to be relational with them, right? I want to be someone who um, is able to sit with their difficult feelings, right, and and not just be um, a, a wall, right, and, and not have any of that, what they're saying, impact me. Mm-hmm. This stuff impacts me. Of course it does. Uh, and if you're do, working with folks who are experiencing eating disorders, it's impacting you, you know? And so it's sort of like the C-level work of saying like, you know, listen, uh, I, I know this work is hard, It's hard in many different ways, Um, but I also like give myself permission to take care of myself, and as I do it.
0: All right. So, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking. It, very I, I you know, most dietitians, I think it is a known trait that dietitians are, <laughs> I don't want to say like perfectionists, but kind no, we of. Are.
1: No, right? no, no, we yeah. are. Uh, Ex- yeah.
0: Exactly. We strive for the A. So it is very refreshing to hear you say that. And I and it was refreshing to hear that in the book, the C level work. You know, when I first read it, I'm not gonna lie, I said what well, your clients, you know, sometimes I got a little bit like, oh, this is this is weird. I don't know if I like that. I don't want my clients doing C-level work, C's not good. But the way you describe it makes so much sense. If you're not striving for the A, and this is true, I think in life, you, you are more present, you are more mindful, you're more relaxed and able to listen and take it in. And that just makes so much sense. And I also think going back to what you were saying about you know, just the client showing up Is that that's that's good enough. And, you know, for so long, what I would do and I and I will admit this because I was in weight loss work is I would weigh people and they, of course, wouldn't want to show up because maybe they thought that they had, quote unquote, failed on whatever diet I had given them. They don't want to get on the scale. It's just I'm like cringing as I say it. But I did that. Uh, Uh, Me, too. Me too. Yeah. I unfortunately a lot of us have probably done that. Uh and and even if I'm not weighing anyone now, they could still have that like that memory of previous times they've been weighed by a dietitian. So even just showing up and being willing to talk, even if they didn't complete the assignments or the goals, it's yes, you're exactly right. That is enough. So Describing it that way it makes so much sense. And I think it's good for anyone listening who is on an intuitive eating body trust journey or is, you know, working on becoming a dietitian or whatever it is, a, a therapist. I think C-level work can be used in so many areas. So I think that's that's really important. Yeah. Uh, so. So I do you have any other I, I we've we've hit a lot in this in this interview and I it's I've I've learned a lot from you and it's been really great listening to you. Any last thoughts that you'd like to share or anything that you think I didn't cover that should be covered?
1: Um you know, I I just think that we can offer ourselves a lot of compassion in this process and you know for folks that are much like you, I did not start my career in thinking in this way.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I was running a weight loss program at the VA. I did a lot of things that I'm very ashamed of that, you know, I wish I could go to everyone and apologize to, but I I can't, but I can say it out loud that, you know, I I didn't, I, I wasn't doing supportive work back then. And, you know, using that as an example, using what you shared as an example for the folks listening that you know might be, at, at, you know, sort of in that sort of early stage of doing this is it's okay, and you know it's hard, it's uncomfortable, and the more we embrace that discomfort, uh, the the better off we are. You know, we can offer ourselves a lot of compassion in this. And when we do that, I think it's going to make, um, make our lives, uh, a little bit easier in the ways in which we sort of stop beating ourselves up for the mistakes or the things that we didn't know to do any differently.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. They weren't mistakes then. They're not mistakes now because at the time that's what we thought uh, was yeah. best. Yeah. You know, I use the same example, like with my mom, I, I, she knows I talk about her on the podcast at times, but you know, when I was growing up and I think a lot of moms, she would get on the scale and do all these things that if she knew how harmful it was for me to see that she never would have done it. And I know that. Um, But, but it was done and uh, she thought it was for the best for her and she didn't think it was the best for me, but she def- definitely thought it was the best for her. And obviously we know now that it wasn't helpful. It wasn't helpful for her or me, but anyway, yeah, we don't know. We don't know. And I think you're exactly right. Self-compassion, giving yourself grace is important in life, but especially on this journey um, of, you know, body acceptance, body trust, all that. It's, it's so, so important. Yeah. So for thank sure. you. Yeah. Thank you to end, do you, I don't remember if I sent this to you or if I'm putting you on the spot here, but your top two favorite dietitians unplugged episodes.
1: You know, <laughs> um, that, that would assume that I've gone through and listened to them recently and that okay. I have a, a good memory. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, here's what I will say is okay. the, the things that stood out to me in that in our, um, in the course of those episodes is I think one of our first guests that we ever brought on Was Vivian McMaster and she has a program called Be Your Own Beloved I think it's still running it's like a a thing where you uh, a program an online program where it's the goal is to help you feel comfortable seeing yourself in pictures and selfies Mm. and you know it's something that Glennis and I did before we um I think before if not after but that I participated in at some point and and it was really helpful. It was like one of those things that was really, um, you know, useful to sort of go through and, um, and, and, and listen, you know, and, and like go through that experience of taking a lot of pictures of myself. Um, so that, so that, that stands out to me as one. Um,
0: yeah, that could th- be it if you yeah. want. Let's go with yeah. that one. Sure. I love it. I'm going to listen to that. I think that would be super helpful. I don't, no one likes to take, self- well, I shouldn't say that. I'm not a huge selfie fan. Um, So I could, I could use that, uh, yeah. that episode <laughs> for sure. Well, I
1: think if there's also like probably some generational stuff in there. Like, you know, yes. my kids are snapping pictures of everything that they see 24 <laughs> seven. Uh, and I'm like, do you need a picture of that? And, <laughs> so and true. my daughter's like, yes, yes, I really do.
0: I know. My daughter has me take a picture of her hair every morning before she goes to school. I'm like, really? really? I can't. There's no other way for me to see it, mom. I mean, I know it's a little bit different, but I'm just like, oh, right. it looks the same as it did yesterday.
1: Kids. Oh, kids. I know. Oh, kids.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, being with me for the last hour, Aaron. This has been enlightening and I've really enjoyed it. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's been great to talk to you.
0: All right, let's go into favorite new products. Hopefully you enjoyed that that interview with Aaron. I know I truly enjoyed having him on the podcast and I'm already looking forward to having him back here again. Uh, but let's go ahead and dive into our favorite new products or recipes. Okay, I have really been into convenience foods lately. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that. I obviously think that in- convenience foods are great and they're, I mean- a staple in our life for sure. I'm just really trying to work on finding my favorites that we can have in the house at all times. And one of my favorites is Tasty Bites Indian Food. They just have such a wide variety of different tastes, flavors, uh, combinations of textures. Uh, Let me kind of tell you some of the best sellers that they have on their websites. I love uh, their lentil dishes. You can actually use them as a side. You can eat them alone. You can eat them on rice. You can add them to meat dishes or meats. But they have so many different foods uh, and uh, different offerings available. Coconut squash, dal, turmeric rice, vegetable, tikka masala, one of my favorites. And then another one of my favorites is the madras lentils. So, so good coconut chickpea and turmeric curry. So again, they can be eaten eaten alone, added to some rice, or you can even make some, I don't know, chicken thighs in the slow cooker and serve this with the chicken thighs. You know, there's no, there's no, uh, and it's an endless opportunity of flavors and options when it comes to this product. But again, it's Tasty Bite. Indian foods and they think they can be found in most stores. So I will put the link in the show notes, but definitely one of our favorites. And when I say our, I'm really talking about myself. My kids have, uh, I will always offer that to them and, you know, expose them to these flavors, but they are still, you know, in that, in that stage where they are unlikely to try different foods that I offer. Frustrating, but I haven't given up on them. Okay. Okay. Well, that's it for today. Coming up on September 4th, I'll be starting a new series focusing on letters I've written to myself, starting with a letter I wrote to my college self with an eating disorder. Until then, treat yourself with the respect you deserve, be the best friend you've always wanted, and reach out to me at any time on Instagram at nutritionunmeasured or via email at trustyourbodyrd at gmail.com.